KPFA and KPFB Berkeley KFCF in Fresno. It's 3 o'clock. Please stay tuned now on Cover to Cover for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is July the 3rd, 2007. Wow, the dog days of summer now. My older son is visiting for a few days, he and his brother and oh, a whole bunch of Family folks are out at Dillon Beach today. Oh, how I wish I'd gone with them. Oh, sand between the toes. This beatific weather on the way to KPFA. Oh, an hour ago I stopped at the Children's Peace Picnic. Uh, it's still going on. The Children's Peace Picnic is over there in the park on Martin Luther King Way, the park between Russell and Oregon. I love that park. My two sons grew up in that neighborhood back in the 1970s. That was Old Grove Street then. I was feeling pretty peaceful walking through the park today and then I got on the bus. (laughs) Violence broke out. It was just a disturbed young man looking for a fight. I always wonder it is, you know, especially when the weather is so lovely. Why is it that male primates get so aggressive when things don't go their way? I've noticed that, you know, when one guy's getting on the bus and another guy's getting off the bus, <laughs> they have this little moment where they meet, you know. It's a question of which one's going to back up. Anyway, sad, sad, sad. Uh, I remember asking my older son once about that uh, all that uh, aggressivity, you know, and how come we weren't like the bonobo apes and all like that. And he said, he opined, this was many years ago, he opined that it was territoriality, yes, that uh, the guys needed space. They needed to mark their space. Anyway, I don't think that covers it entirely, but anyway... This week, I asked him if he thought, well, things might change, uh, at least, well, suppose Al Gore got to be president, I said, or anyway, a Democrat, and he said it didn't matter one way or the other. Uh, Well, I'd been yakking away about uh, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, you know, there was a, a... 
a little debate there, and Hillary did a great job of one-upmanship because um, Barack Obama had failed to play the race card. Hillary was clever. She said uh, something to the effect that if the first cause of death uh, for white women uh, were AIDS or HIV, uh, if women between the ages of 24 and 35, that is white women, were dying at the rate that black women were dying, well, you know, there'd be a, a dust up and a fuss. Now, this one got, this remark got the most applause. And of course, since she was showing concern for the African American community, I said that Hillary had one-upped Barack. And <laughs> my son just laughed and said, well, of course, they'll say whatever it takes to get elected. And, uh, I said, exactly, I mean, exactly, that's the job, that's their, that's what a politician is, you know, a liar. It's about the size of the lie, the style, you know. <laughs> Who can tell the best lie, put the best spin on things, that's a test for a leader. You know, if he can make the people buy it, well, then maybe he can make the world buy it. Who knows? Anyway... My son looked at me with considerable, uh, considerable pity. I, I'm afraid he doesn't put much faith in, uh, let's call it, uh, let's call it words or uh, spin or propaganda. Yes, uh, he sees things as they are. I kind of like to see things as they might be. I was thinking about that. I have a friend, Leslie Simon. I was looking at her poems last night, and she has a wonderful poem about this business of writing or about trying to use words to get out of this pain, this trap we're in. There's a poem she wrote called Stylus, S-T-Y-L-U-S, Stylus. You know, that's a pen. It's in a collection of poems called Collisions and Transformations. The poet is Leslie Simon. Let me read you this nice poem about pens. It's called Stylus. She writes, I wanted a red pen for that one. Oh, where is my red pen? Permanent. Oh, oh, again. I wanted the blue pen for love. The black pen for politics, the purple for disappearing dreams and fantasies. Why, you ask, this obsession with pens? It is breath, I say, like breathing. Oh, poor dear, you sigh, lost and dependent on art. Devoted to fake beliefs, transparent wishes, dipping, diving into ink, and lies. But, I whisper, the lie curves and makes belief out of this make-believe. And I see what I never saw before. And what I didn't know, I knew. 
yes, that's what it's all about, language and thought. What cannot be said cannot be thought. That's why we struggle, we pitiful wordsmiths. Try to put it into words, and that's the way we create our world or make the world real for ourselves. Oh, Leslie Simon's book is called Collisions and Transformations. And I want to get her on the radio soon and have her read some more of her poems for us. She's a very special woman. Anyway, I grabbed my New Yorker when I was leaving the house today. <laughs> I was trying to pull myself together. Yes, summer fun. Take my last Oxycontin and try to find something funny. And what I found uh, is a piece about Barack Obama, about his life as a poet. Now, I don't know whether this helps his uh, his campaign or whether it uh, will impress Democrats who might want to vote for him. <laughs> anyway, this is the New Yorker, July 2nd, 2007. And it's a little section in Talk of the Town called... Roses are red, Obama poet. Now, I actually yesterday, uh, day before yesterday in the bookstore with my son, I was reading this uh, book by uh, Obama called Dreams from My Father. That's prose collection. It's kind of interesting. If you, if you like him, you know, uh, all the Democratic politicians anyway seem to have a book out, uh, Dreams from my father. In that book, Obama described the marijuana that he smoked as a young man. (laughs) Here's a quote. He says that the marijuana uh, is something that could flatten out the landscape of my heart, blur the edges of my memory. Hmm. Well, I think, yes, it's a great improvement. On the other two presidents, let's see, uh, uh, President 42, I didn't inhale. President 43 said when I was young and irresponsible, I was young and irresponsible. Okay. So, according to uh, Talk of the Town, that's Rebecca Mead writing about Obama. She she says that, um, that uh, Obama is more lyrical. And then the other two prayers. Uh, she says it's uh, surprising to discover that another less publicized intoxication to which the young Obama succumbed, yes, was this composition of lyric poetry along with his uh, uh, lyric thoughts on marijuana. Now, a literary magazine at Occidental College published two poems by Obama back in 1981, Uh, he was a student at Occidental College at the time. The first poem is called Pop, and it is a loving, if slightly jaded, portrait of Barack's maternal grandfather, with whom he spent a large part of his childhood. Free in structure and with a bold use of enjabment, It begins, quote, sitting in his seat, a seat broad and broken. Uh, Oops, I must start again. I misread the poem. Okay. 
This is Obama's poem. Sitting in his seat, a seat broad and broken in, sprinkled with ashes, Pop switches channels, takes another shot of Seagram's neat, and asks, What to do with me, a green young man who fails to consider the flim and flam of the world since things have been easy for me? Okay. That was the first poem about Obama's maternal grandfather. Yes. Slightly jaded portrait. Right. Okay. Rebecca goes on. Rebecca Mead goes on to say that the second poem, Underground, offers a vivid, if obscurely symbolic, description of a tribe of submarine primates. Okay. Submarine primates. An exemplary few lines go, quote, Underwater grottos, caverns filled with apes that eat figs. Stepping on the figs that the apes eat, they crunch. Okay. Rebecca Mead goes on to write that Harold Bloom, who in 53 years of teaching literature at Yale University has had many undergraduate poems pressed hopefully upon him, said when reached by telephone in New Haven last week that he was not familiar with Obama's aura. That is, he had not read the poems of uh, Barack. Okay. After studying the poems, Harold Bloom said that he was not unimpressed with the young man's efforts, <laughs> at least by the standards established by other would-be bards within the political sphere. Hmm. Now, this is Harold Bloom. Uh, quote, Harold Bloom says, At 18, as an undergraduate, he was already a much better poet than our former Secretary of Defense, William Cohen, who keeps publishing terrible poetry. Uh, yes, Cohen has published two collections of verse, of Suns and Seasons in 1978 and A Baker's Nickel in 1986. <laughs> uh, Harold Bloom goes on to state, Then there is Jimmy Carter, who is, in my judgment, literally the worst poet in the United States. Oh, dear, dear, dear. <laughs> Parenthesis here. Uh, Rebecca Mead uh, goes on to say that Carter's first volume of poetry, Always a Reckoning and Other Poems, which was published in 1994, included a work called why we get cheaper tires from Liberia. And here is a quote from uh, Jimmy Carter's poem. No churches can be built, no privy holes or even graves dug in the rolling hills for those milking firestones trees who die from mamba and mosquito bites. I don't know what's so bad about that. Anyway, I kind of like Jimmy Carter's poems, but what do I know? Mm, Harold Bloom is, of course, a purist. Anyway, Rebecca Mead goes on to state that of the two Obama poems, Harold Bloom said that Pop 
was, quote, not bad, a good enough folk poem with some pathos and humor and affection, Bloom went on. It is not wholly unlike Langston Hughes, who tended to imitate Carl Sandburg. Harold Bloom was fascinated by Obama's use of an unusual verb, shink. That's S-H-I-N-K. <laughs> uh, this is the quote. He stands, shouts, and asks for a hug as I shink, S-H-I-N-K, my arms barely reaching around his thick, oily neck. This word does not appear in any of the dictionaries that Harold Bloom consulted, but which is defined in an online slang dictionary as, quote, an evasive sinking maneuver, unquote. Shink, S-H-I-N-K. Hmm, it is undoubtedly a word that was in common usage having to do with feeling very strong emotion. In this case, a very strong need for comfort, Harold Bloom said. He takes the subtext of the poem to be Obama's reckoning with his absent father, for whom his grandfather is inevitably an inadequate substitute. This is, in effect, his own father, Harold Bloom said. That's very touching, and it also shows a kind of humane and sad Wit. There's a mind there. <laughs> okay. Harold Bloom said that Underground is the better poem of the two. Again, a quote from Harold Bloom. It gave me the oddest feeling that he, Barack, might have been reading the poems of D.H. Lawrence. It reminded me of the poem Snake. Bloom went on. I think it is about some sense of chthonic forces. That word is C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C. I believe that has something to do with uh, earth, earthy or pagan yes, forces. Uh, think of ancient the ancient religions or, uh, what is it, titanic forces. Anyway, um, Yes, he says, I think it is about some sense of chthonic forces, just as Lawrence frequently is. Uh, he has some sense not wholly articulated of something below, beneath, trying to break through. <laughs> Poetry aside, Harold Bloom has formed a good impression of Obama. Though... Uh, if Mayor Bloomberg runs, I'm voting for him, Harold Bloom added. In any case, he said, Osama has chosen the right career, at least if it comes to a toss-up between politico and poet. Quote. If I had been shown these poems by one of my undergraduates and asked, shall I go on with it? I would have rubbed my forehead and said, on the whole, my dear... Probably not. Your future is not as a person of letters, Bloom pronounced. But they would by no means have seemed to me unworthy of my attention. <laughs> That's mostly, I think, a comment on 
Harold Bloom, about whom I will spare you my impressions, because, as I say, he is a pro, <laughs> a real pro. Never mind, never mind. Uh, I think that I have time for just, I was going to read you something tragic today, but I did tell my little grandson, T, that he should listen to the radio today, and I, I don't want to read this tragic story. Let me see. I want to read you something by Grace Paley. I remember years ago someone telling me that there was this writer. They had been reading this writer that they thought sounded like me. So, of course, I went rushing to read her stories. And while I didn't quite see the similarity, I was just terribly flattered that somebody thought that I had some resemblance to Grace Paley. This is a little short uh, piece. These are called short shorts. These are little prose fragments. I don't call them short stories. This collection says they are short shorts, uh, but I don't, uh, they're not classic short stories. They are what I would call uh, snapshots. Grace Paley's snapshot is called Wants. She writes, I saw my ex-husband in the street. I was sitting on the steps of the new library. Hello, my life, I said. We had once been married for 27 years, so I felt justified. He said, what? What life? No life of mine. I said, okay. I don't argue when there's real disagreement. I got up and went into the library to see how much I owed them. The librarian said, $32 even, and you've owed it for 18 years. I didn't deny anything. I don't understand how time passes. I have had those books. Well, I have often thought of them. The library is only two blocks away. My ex-husband followed me to the book's returned desk. He interrupted the librarian, who had more to tell. In many ways, he said, as I look back, I attribute the dissolution of our marriage to the fact that you never invited the Bertrams to dinner. That's possible, I said. But really, if you remember, first my father was sick that Friday, and then the children were born, and then I had those Tuesday night meetings, and then the war began, and then we didn't seem to know them anymore, the Bertrams, but you're right, I should have had them to dinner. I gave the librarian a check for $32. Immediately, she trusted me, put my past behind her, wiped the record clean, which is just what most other municipal and or state bureaucracies will not do. I checked out the two Edith Wharton books I had just returned, because I'd read them so long ago, and they were are more apropos now than ever. They were The House of Mirth and The Children, which is about how life in the United States, in New York, changed in 27 years, 50 years ago. A nice thing I do remember, said my husband. 
is breakfast. I was surprised. All we ever had was coffee. Then I remembered there was a hole in the back of the kitchen closet, which opened into the apartment next door. There they always ate sugar-cured smoked bacon. It gave us a very grand feeling about breakfast, but we never got stuffed and sluggish. Oh, that was when we were poor, I said. When were we ever rich? he asked. Oh, as time went on, as our responsibilities increased, we didn't go in need. You took adequate financial care, I reminded him. The children went to camp four weeks a year, and in decent ponchos with sleeping bags and boots, just like everyone else. They looked very nice. Our place was warm in winter. We had nice red pillows and things. I wanted a sailboat, he said, but you didn't want anything. Don't be bitter, I said. It's never too late. No, he said with a great deal of bitterness. I may get a sailboat. As a matter of fact, I have money down on an eighteen-foot two-rigger. I'm doing well this year and can look forward to better. But as for you, it's too late. You'll always want nothing. He had had a habit throughout the twenty-seven years. Of making a narrow remark, which, like a plumber's snake, could work its way through the ear, down the throat, halfway to my heart, he would then disappear, leaving me choking with the equipment. What I mean is, I sat down on the library steps, and he went away. I looked through the house of mirth, but lost interest. I felt extremely accused. Now it's true, I'm short of requests and absolute requirements, but I do want something. I want, for instance, to be a different person. I want to be the woman who brings these two books back in two weeks. I want to be the effective citizen who changes the school system. And addresses the board of estimate on the troubles of this dear urban centre. I had promised my children to end the war before they grew up. I wanted to have been married forever to one person. My ex-husband or my present one either has enough character for a whole life, which, as it turns out, is really not such a long time. You couldn't exhaust either man's qualities, or get under the rock of his reasons in one short life. Just this morning, I looked out the window to watch the street for a while, and saw that the little sycamores the city had dreamily planted a couple of years before my kids were born.、Uh, I noticed they had come that day. To the prime of their lives. Well, I decided to bring those two books back to the library, which proves that when a person or an event comes along to jolt or appraise me, I can take some appropriate action. Although, in the long run, 
I am truly better known for my hospitable remarks. Now that's the end of this piece, yes. It's interesting because, of course, this is just a little snapshot of prose. And Grace Paley, of course, has mentioned uh, Edith Wharton's The House of Mirth, which is the most incredibly painful tragedy about a woman who's trying to marry for money. Uh, it does maybe remind me of the the terrible fears and pains of marriage uh, in the middle of the 20th century. We were still frightened. We we talked, women talked about security in marriage, security. Uh, anyway, Grace Paley was one of the first of the women who wrote about marriage uh, with all with all the, what I would call, uh, dismissiveness it deserves. Yes, that's Grace Paley's wants. I'll be back on the air uh, Thursday morning at 8.20. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. On Thursday morning, I'm going to read you a story about... Uh, what's happening to this village we live in. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Goes in darkness from the ones who Hi, this is your mother. No, this is really Mary Tilson speaking, reminding you to brush your teeth, comb your hair, put gas in the car, and listen to America's Back 40, the Hicks from Coast to Coast on KPFA 94.1 FM, Sundays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon.